it's a good idea to get just a firm count of how many enemies are there and going to be chasing you. And they just so happen to be enough to make you negotiate. Wait, no, I'm mixing my examples. Dangerous Dojo in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 77 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about butt kickers, the players who put the hack and the slash in your hack and slash RPG. But first, the party acts a bit standoffish in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, Dalsum's reach is greater than his grasp in the Character Creation Forge. So before we get to that, I have to continue to plug the game collection that I was a part of, Two Weeks, uh, which is now on DriveThruRPG, and there's a link in the show notes. Don't worry, besides the RPG that Shane wrote, there are 12 others? 12 others. Yeah, so I think it's worth the money because who benefits, Shane? The ACLU benefits. It is $10, of which all the proceeds go to the ACLU. And let me tell you, now that it's 2017, the ACLU needs all the money they can get. Indeed. All right. So, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So, the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our rogue trader game that we ran using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition by Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, If you found Total Party Thrill looking for Eberron uh, in our Eberron recap of the Morning Glory campaign... Uh, that was back from episode 0 to 73. We finished that, so feel free to peruse the backlog. But we have now moved on to Warhammer 40k and Rogue Trader. So our party is, uh, as I said in their prologue, they are uh, members of an Inquisitor's Warband sent to the planet Novabella to uh, investigate the lack of a tithe for the past uh, 20 years and a message that was received from a priest suggesting there might be heresy afoot. And uh, you started off with a bang, quite literally. You murdered a viceroy. Uh, purged. We purged an obvious heretic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Viceroy Martin Cathrinkus, the head of the administratum on the planet, uh, whose crime against the Imperium was possession of a bolt pistol, if I'm not mistaken. Seemed pretty heretical to me. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I now have the bolt pistol. Yeah. Yeah. Of course he was a heretic then. <laughs> It had to be. Why else would we have purged him? Right. Now, fortunately, he was the only person in the administratum office at the time because the rest of the town, the uh, capital of Recompense, was in their uh, regular church service. So uh, no witnesses except for the one. I think the secretary, you guys, (laughs) let escape. Uh, And then you went through his office. I mean, I thought the secretary was now going to get someone who was going to be helpful. I think that's what you told her to do. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Uh, but then in uh, in the Viceroy's office, you found uh, a bunch of information that could be useful. Uh, lots of data about the tithe dating back for centuries. You also found um, the police file, the strictionists file from the Arbitace on the death of the planet's astropath which is uh, kind of what you had suspected happened, as there hadn't been any astropathic communication with the planet since uh, since the tithe had stopped. Right. So we let our resident cog boy, I think Jim was playing the cog boy. 
that, that, that would be your, your tech priest. Yeah. Uh, handle the data crunching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there was like a, an old cogitator, right? An old computer. There was, yep. Mm-hmm. A little dusty, but still working. Uh, and then you also found a data slate, which contained the encrypted journal by uh, Harvester Prelate Felicimo, the priest who had initially tipped off the Inquisition uh, about heresy. It was an, an old encryption, so it took a little while to crack. And before you could do that, you got a call. A uh, come-out-with-your-hands-up kind of call. Oh, standoffish. I get it. Yeah. So we noticed that we're surrounded by how how many Arbites? Uh, like enough for me to tell you that you weren't going to win the fight, which, right. which meant many dozens because you guys were headstrong <laughs> and it was a one-shot. <laughs> so uncharacteristically, we decided maybe I guess we should negotiate here. <laughs> well, I think what you probably said was, I guess Shane wants us to negotiate here. <laughs> And of course, friend Joe, my character, was thinking, well, if this bolt pistol is a symbol of office, surely they must listen to me, right? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> he was not bright. <laughs> Turns out, no, no, they didn't, they didn't need to listen to me. Yeah, and it was not just Strictionists. It was also uh, Swarm Protectors, who are the, uh, the planet's militia. <laughs> so slightly better armed than cops. Fortunately, we had an ace in the hole. Mm-hmm. Our Imperial Rosettes. Yes. Marked us as members of the Inquisition. Yes. Which basically means stand down and let us do whatever we want to do, including murdering you. Uh, Which, um, you know, might work in an office full of law-abiding citizens, but it almost certainly does not work when you have just killed a viceroy in cold blood without announcing your presence on a planet and are now being aimed at by a hundred men. It's also, it may not work on a planet that's been out of touch with the Imperium for 17 years and may not know what in the hell a rosette is. That's also a cause for concern, which you were uh, remiss to find out. This is why we didn't want to come to this backwater in the first place, and we just wanted to exterminate it from orbit. But Indeed. no, we don't have any cyclonic <laughs> torpedoes on board. <laughs> well, yeah, rogue trader ships aren't designed to, uh, <laughs> to exterminate planets. It's ridiculous. Well, we, we sent out our face face first you did and you managed to broker a truce Mm -hmm. what were the terms of that arrangement i had to give up my bolt pistol you did yeah i guess there were no other terms that were important to you yeah what were they Uh, (laughs) well you demanded an audience with the governor yeah that's true that was the person we wanted to talk to in the first place right before you got all distracted killing uh viceroys purging it yeah that's right um, and about this time, I think you decrypted the journal as well. We did, but we weren't able to act on it yet. Because you were, uh, you know, quickly ushered along. It came time for you to uh, to step outside. You laid down your weapons, the ones that were obvious. I think all of you managed to hide some type of weapon on you, expecting not to be searched. And uh, And then you were... Granted an audience, you were uh, you were then marched over to a nearby mansion that laid in a vast and opulent estate, and you know passed through the guards, of which there was a solid platoon, and into this gigantic house, this backwater Versailles, if you will. <laughs> and I mean, this is a humble planet, right? That's kind of the the whole theme of their uh, their imperial their their adoption of the imperial creed is around the value of labor. But when you walk inside, you find it's garishly decorated with this decadent luxuries that are from a variety of planets from around the sector. That 
you know, they're probably a couple decades out of fashion at this point. It's what a, it's a poor person's vision of what a rich person would do. It's that's right. Mm. You know, lots of gold, <laughs> yeah. lots of filigree, it's crown his, molding, it's got his name everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, you you know you're taken inside, asked to wait for a bit, and then after uh, after a spell, you are greeted by a large portly man with a soft but rather displeased d- demeanor. And he introduces himself. He says, I am Governor Everfast Kathrinkus. Wait, Kathrinkus? Ugh. <laughs> I understand you claim to be agents of the Inquisition, have declared my brother the Viceroy a heretic, Whoops. and murdered him. Purged. However, may I be of assistance to you. And we'll find out how next week. All right. This week, we are talking about butt kickers. As always, we refer to Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastering to... Give us a definition of this particular player personality profile. So the butt kicker wants to let off a little steam with some old-fashioned mayhem. Uh, This is going to be a player who picks a combat-ready character regardless of system. Yeah. (laughs) Might not be the most powerful choice, but he is going to be ready to throw down in fisticuffs. And, uh, you know, he might care about the rules enough to make a good combat character, but he might actually just want to be able to function and uh if he isn't getting enough attention with the uh with the clobbering he's going to be disappointed in the session yeah and they expect you to provide opportunities for the clobbering yeah he wants to hit stuff be good at it and is probably going to see violence as his first option may even assume that violence is the appropriate option in just about every scenario. Yeah, because the thing that they enjoy the most is the combat and the dice rolling that goes along with the combat. Right. Come on, big numbers. Yeah, exactly. I love big numbers. So that does sound like a little bit of overlap with the Munchkin or Power Gamer. Which so was the first one we did in this series because, you know, that's us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we covered that in episode 30, uh, if you want to go back to that. But we talked about in that episode that munchkins may have shades of the butt kicker or the tactician the more Mm -hmm. combat minded psychographics but how is the butt kicker different well it's what you said earlier they may care the butt kicker may care enough about the rules to make like a very effective combat focused character but no matter what they're going to be combat focused a power gamer a munchkin wants to be the best at the game wants to win the game yeah. Which means that if you're playing a game that is social focused, that is not combat focused, the Munchkin's going to focus on that. There, there's no point for the power gamer to be a combat monster if that's never going to come up. Yeah, if you're uh, if you're playing a game about stealing stuff, the Munchkin is going to make the master thief. Right, the one who can steal things literally from under people's noses. Right. If there's a weakness in the mechanics, the Munchkin's going to exploit it. Right. The power gamer learns all the languages in the game. Right. Uh, whereas I think the butt kicker is pretty focused in their niche, right? And and may not be looking outside of that. They might not even bother to take abilities from pillars of play outside of combat. And they probably won't shore up any weaknesses that they have outside of combat. Yeah, may not even know that they could. Yeah, yeah. social interaction, problem solving, exploration. None of that is really going to show up on a butt kicker's character sheet if they can avoid it. Now, I feel like we've all seen this type of if not 
player, we've all seen this character at a table, right? The mm. barbarian, right? Yeah, the barbarian or the fighter. Yeah, the the dwarf. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the drunken dwarf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, when is it that butt kickers become a problem at the table? So, I think most often it's when they are subverting or interfering with other players' non-combat approaches to problem solving. So it's the uh, the classic case of, okay, this conversation is bored. I have six intelligence. I attack the queen. Or the viceroy, as it were. Or, or the viceroy, yeah, <laughs> as a matter of fact. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, well, the, the other five people here are, like, trying to tell a story. So, like, you don't do that. Be cool. Yeah, this is often cloaked in, well, this is what my character would do. And you know what? Maybe at level one, that is what your character would do. But at level two, that character is either dead or the party has left them behind. Well, yeah, or the or both. Or the queen is dead. <laughs> which is way worse. For the party. <laughs> Unless they have like weird rule like uh you keep what you kill, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good twist. Actually, it turns out he's now the queen. Right. Congratulations. Yep. <laughs> you are going to have to take a prince consort, however. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean this is just a classic problem of when you're a hammer the whole world looks like a nail. Yeah, and it isn't just a problem of, you know, what is the character that this player built. This is something that follows the player from system to system and character to character. Right, because combat is the only system they engage in consistently. Right. The only subsystem of a of a game. And of course, not all butt kickers are younger or more inexperienced, but a lot of inexperienced or younger players are butt kickers. Yeah. Um, a lot of time, especially, you know, a lot of players come from MMOs and, and that kind of computer RPG background where combat is often the only answer. You know, you, you develop story through dialogue, but you're ultimately going to have to go get 10 pelts and you're going to have to kill 10 wolves to get them. Mm-hmm. And no one will talk to you until you do that. Right. Yeah. No one ever finished a raid boss by negotiating. <laughs> so in more open-ended RPGs, tabletop RPGs, this approach may come across as almost murder hoboey. You know, hey, instead of talking to them, I'm just going to kill them and take their stuff. Because right. that's, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Yeah. That's how what I find fun. That's how I level up. Yeah. Yeah. And so you'll, you'll find an indifference towards plot or character development. So what do you do if you do have a butt kicker at your table? So I think first things first, plan to have combats. Either keep generic stat blocks handy for NPCs because you expect the butt kicker to take the lead in certain encounters and you might not be able to predict which ones are finally going to become combats, but otherwise just plan for more encounters than you might. You know, at least one fight per session to throw that player a bone. Yeah, and you know, no matter what or what kind of players you have at your table, you should be having these uh, potential combats in your back pocket because you never know when someone's going to be traveling and you're going to roll in or like a, a random table that says four hook horrors show up <laughs> <laughs> well yeah somebody's traveling to 1992 <laughs> <laughs> or you know even a non-butt kicker might decide you know what the time for negotiation is over like we're going to attack right yeah and i mean this also is is part of knowing the system that you're in, right? In mm-hmm. in games where combat is a regular occurrence, like D and D, for example, where you're expected to have multiple encounters per day, um, that that's not as big of a deal. In a game like Legends of the Five Rings, 
where combat is a very deadly affair, you need to kind of gauge that. So um, you can <laughs> maybe throw a couple bones to that player so they're not getting into you know life or death situations constantly. Yeah, and if you've got a system that's sort of a little more middle ground, say Dark Heresy 2nd Edition and any of the Warhammer games, combat is is difficult and very likely deadly. Mm-hmm. But as long as you're prepared, you're probably okay. It's actually It actually behooves the other players at the table to explain that to the butt kicker. Hey, we like where your head is at, but let's not get us all killed. Right, right. Yeah, and if you if you're the GM who doesn't really care for combat, and I, I'm actually kind of one of those GMs, um, you should talk to those players who are butt kickers by nature, um, so that they understand the expectations that they need to have. You know, uh, going back to L5R as an example, if a duel to the death with samurai is the only combat that's that's available, you need to make sure your butt kicker knows that, so he isn't rushing headlong into a duel with samurai who are outclassing him. Or maybe let them do it very early <laughs> so they can re-roll and then not do that. I See, I don't think that works because I don't think character death is is a penalty or a drawback for a butt kicker. Two in a row. A blaze of glory is a win, mm, you know? That's true. What if it's not a blaze of glory? Well, an embarrassing defeat could also <laughs> be a win, you know? I mean, the character isn't the important part to a butt kicker. But maybe it can become one. Because being good at combat, while that can and probably should be rewarding to the player, winning a combat should have, you know, positive consequences typically in in the game, yeah? Well, yeah, and if they're expecting that, use those rewards to draw them into the story. So it's not just about winning the fight, it's about dealing with the after effects that come of winning that fight. Yeah, so maybe they won the battle, but now potentially they're losing the war. Or on the other side, we've talked before about sort of like dangling these carrots in front of players who are really focused on one thing and sort of helping them expand their horizons. Maybe they get story rewards for winning that combat. And now suddenly they're like, oh, wow, really? I, I get it. I get a keep. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. I didn't even think about that, but I love having a keep. Right. And now like I got like NPCs that I got to take care of. Like, okay, I get it. Yeah, I could do that. Uh, huh. Um, well, I give them swords, right? Swords and armor. Yeah. That's what you need. <laughs> I'm sorry. Most of them starved. Oh, oh man. I All didn't right. think of that. I got to go, go get more followers. <laughs> and I'm going to treat them better this time. Uh, I think another thing you can do, if you take like the, the end of New Hope, Right where they're they're getting their medal in this big award ceremony. If the butt kicker is naturally going to be kind of the the leader of the group in combat, and, and will sort of get some of the credit for that, maybe whoever bestows the honor upon them turns and says, "You need to make a speech." Right, they're ex- the people are expecting a speech, and now you've put them on the spot to actually role play as the benefit of being so good at what they like Mm -hmm. fortunately i'm a combat wookie so i neither got a medal nor can i speak (laughs) (laughs) well you've outsmarted me this time (laughs) i guess i'll have to go to my third option (laughs) just letting me win (laughs) also it's a good idea to to set clear expectations when combat is not a viable option yeah this doesn't mean always making sure that like your butt kicker can kill things right this means sometimes they need to be told that that's not going to work for a little while. Mm -hmm. So depending on the type of game you're running, it could be part of the mission parameters. 
that combat has to be a last resort, so there could be extra rewards for a nonviolent solution. You know, if you can sneak past and not have to kill any of the guards, we'll pay you a little bit extra. And you can use that to buy better weapons for when you can kill things. Right. <laughs> or, uh, you know, if you make stealth or subtlety like a condition of success, then, you know, leaving a trail of bodies bad idea all around and then i'm not going to get that shiny axe that i want that you're going to give me as a reward yeah we've talked before about this fish out of water scenario it's sometimes fun to not be able to bring all of your abilities to bear and this is an opportunity for them to realize that yeah and of course telegraph the likely outcome like if you say that this is supposed to be a stealth mission like don't get caught don't make noise you need to make it clear what is going to happen if they do decide to go off the rails and do that anyway. Like if your characters are uh, holed up inside an administratum building <laughs> and mm. besieged by uh, local militia. Maybe if your Warhammer-wielding psychopath looks outside and sees that there are several dozen men with weapons pointed right at him, he might not charge them. Maybe. No matter how not bright he is. Right. Or, uh, you know, if you're, like, sneaking past enemy lines, if you see a count of the army and realize there's, you know, 900 troops that are going to be chasing after you, maybe you keep it sheathed. Yeah. My sword, right? Either way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not the time to leave subtle traps that aren't really obvious. Yeah, silent alarms are lousy in this case. Yeah, blaring alarms, siege engines. Yeah. Yeah, Oliphants, that's what you want. That's what you really want, yeah. (laughs) Of course, for most RPGs, there is a time for combat. And so when it happens, make sure that the butt kicker is getting everything out of it that they want, so they're satiated. Yeah, maximize their fun of combat. Because the other psychographics won't mind, for the most part. Yeah, seriously. My face is uh, not getting attacked. Yeah. (laughs) Because... That guy's taking it. Great. Yeah, let the barbarian tank those. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you do. That's why I brought you along. Right. Yeah, and I mean, in in heroic kind of systems, it's actually more fun to be targeted than it is to be ignored. Yeah. In in real gritty and and dark systems, sometimes you just end up dying if you get targeted, right? Which sucks. But but in like D&D or Mm -hmm. um, like superhero games especially... If you start beating down one hero, that person is actually having more fun because they've got the tension kind of ramped up for them. Yeah, it's tons of fun to be like, oh, man, like you attack me. Okay, you missed because I have high AC. Wait, you hit? Okay, that's fine. I didn't take any damage because I have amazing armor. Right, because I use this ability. Yeah, exactly. I took damage? Well, actually, I reduce it by half because like (laughs) I'm amazing at this. That's my Dark Sun Goliath story. (laughs) You crit me? Great, I'm raging. <laughs> you crit me? I use my Goliath ability. You crit me again? Come on, dude. <laughs> You're the one who wanted it to be gritty. <laughs> it is only fitting. I was level one. <laughs> two. You're level two. I was level one the first time I got triple crit. Oh, yes. Yes. The next time, though. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think in, in games that don't have as much of a focus on the drilled-in personal combat... Um, you can give a similar kind of role to the butt kicker player that lets them engage that same sort of thought process. So um, if it's like a political or strategic game, control of the military is a great option or um, head of security is a good role that has ways to engage with what the party is doing as a whole, but is still really focused on being better at combat. Yeah, in these sort of more abstract scenarios, you're still going to want to like really describe what's going on, you know, clash of steel and things like that. Yeah. 
And you mentioned this before, but, you know, their PC dying isn't usually a deterrent for, you know, a really active butt kicker. Yeah, that doesn't change their desired outcome for a game. It's it's the reward, really. It's the natural outcome of this life. <laughs> and I think that's what that's one thing that sort of separates a butt kicker from different kinds of combat focused players is that the butt kicker is fine if like their story ends because there there wasn't really a story there to begin with. Yeah. Like, they just wanted to like, you know, attack stuff. Yeah. Like as long as they take out whatever, you know, whatever the target was, they don't mind if they lose afterwards. Yeah, now I get to play a different build. Exactly. So like use yeah. different weapons. Right. I, I awesome. Think, I think I found a way to get a little more damage out of this. Right. We found that axe that I'm not specialized in. Yeah. Um I think I kinda wanna rush the Oliphant. Yeah. <laughs> Reroll an axe wielder. <laughs> Uh, and then the other thing is, uh, keep in mind that butt kickers' preferences may evolve in games that are less combat focused. So, if they're exposed to these ideas of of non combat um, play and they begin to enjoy it, they may change, but their characters probably can't. A, a fighter who doesn't have any social skills is always going to be bad at social skills. Yeah, especially in like a class based game mm-hmm. or even like certain point or XP purchasing games lots of times you'll have affinities for particular abilities and you just don't have them to branch out right yeah so so keep in mind right if that happens with a butt kicker you you want to talk to that player and maybe think about how you can redesign their character so that they can engage in the things that they want to do because player preferences are always fluid right yeah and this is something that you can do in game right you have the barbarian who is realizing that you know maybe i i can't just attack first and ask no questions right yeah now or later i do need to you know practice my manners and you know maybe study a little bit and hey actually reading isn't so bad because it got me through that door one time that was crazy yeah like so can i can i maybe like switch my dump stat from charisma because i I would like to be able to do a little more of that stuff right or like maybe i changed the like i'm the same character but you like retcon the starting career right so what are some tips if you are a butt kicker player and you've identified that about yourself? You're awesome. <laughs> you don't need to change a thing, man. Just like get out there. Get out there. Roll high. Yeah. Crit more. Yeah. But maybe you want to share the spotlight with other people so that everyone can enjoy the glories of combat. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind that combat encounters typically take the most time of any type of encounter right. in the session. And they advance the narrative the least in general. So give other players the opportunity to sort of explore their avenues of gameplay that they prefer instead of forcing everything into combat all the time. Yeah, it's likely that you are getting your personal itch scratched more than most people already. Mm -hmm. So maybe pay attention to the kinds of things that other characters respect for or that other players at the table enjoy and help facilitate that as well. Right. Because you want everyone to get their chance to do their awesome things. Everyone can feel the way that you do. You know, when you bring down the big bad with your giant axe. Right. Or their political maneuvering or their sneak attacks or whatever it is. Yeah. And, you know, with a good GM, it's not going to be zero sum, right? Like their win at political maneuvering isn't going to cheat you out of an awesome combat. Right. It it will just be a different awesome combat. And on that note, I think it's also important to, as anybody playing RPGs should, talk to your GM, Right. Um, it's fine to prefer combat to other encounters, but if you feel like you're not getting enough combat and that you would like more or that you only get combat when you kind of force it, 
you know, when you take the initiative and charge, that's the only time you get to fight. Talk to your GM about maybe building in uh, more combat for the group so that you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, suddenly going all Leroy Jenkins like in the middle of a session and dragging your entire party into a combat they weren't expecting is honestly really childish. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think we've all done it on occasion because it's funny, <laughs> right? <laughs> and if you're playing that kind of character, it can make for a great story. Hey, it was a one-shot, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it wears thin pretty quickly. So it's it's fine if you're doing that, you know, once an arc and that's sort of a defining moment for your character when you you know seize the initiative uh, but if it's every session and that's the only time it's happening everyone's gonna be like oh there he goes again mm-hmm. the other thing is like you're awesome at combat you should expand the ways that you can use being awesome at combat like you're big and strong be really good at intimidate or maybe interrogation something that uses the same kinds of skills yeah yeah or uh like displays of power or feats of strength you know it's like you can assist in a negotiation by threatening someone just fine yeah or maybe what you offer to do is yeah let's negotiate we'll arm wrestle for it right (laughs) uh then you roll a one you lose you're embarrassed this is my life you deserve it (laughs) so ultimately i think the takeaway here is if you're a butt kicker realize that you've got a lot of privilege in rpgs in general they're mostly focused around combat or at least historically have been so and so there's an excellent chance that you are playing a game that is catering to your needs anyway it's the people who are playing exploration or certain kinds of like social focused characters who often get short shrift and really need to find ways to you know get their fix in game so Enjoy the position that you've got. Have fun in combat, but try to expand your horizons a little bit. It may turn out that you're going to have a lot of fun doing other things too. And then remember that since you're having a lot of fun, try to share that spotlight with other people so they can enjoy it as much as you do. And everyone at the table will have a better time. Yeah, I think that goes beyond just butt kickers. That that works for everybody at the table, in my opinion. Well, we'll repeat that in all our future episodes <laughs> in this series too. Perfect. <laughs> Do you hear that, Ishan? That's the sound of me winning an arm wrestling match. No, actually, I rolled a one. I lost. Oh, Sorry, okay. guys. I think we're going to be burned at the stake. Well, let's roll up an arm wrestler in the Character Creation Forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPT Cast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we have built a Street Fighter character, Dalzim. Awesome. So if you never played Street Fighter 2, I am very sorry for you. But it was a fighting game, a one-on-one fighting game back in the 90s. And there were, well, each iteration of the game had more characters. But one of the original characters that you could play was Dalsim, who was honestly kind of stereotypy in an uncomfortable way. Uh, But he was also a really popular character. He had really stretchy arms and legs, Mm -hmm. so he could punch people from halfway across the screen. Yep, 
in like a flurry. Yeah. Uh, and he could also breathe fire or shoot fire from his mouth. Mm-hmm. He was a real charming guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He also did this weird thing where he sort of jumped in the air and became like this slow-moving missile. Remember? And he was sort of like spinning on his axis. It wasn't very good. I, yeah, I don't remember weird. ever doing that. But that's possibly because I didn't know the uh, combination for that. Because <laughs> it was before the internet. <laughs> right? You had to like go to Capcom and that, like... That was like the first thing everyone did after they got AOL. <laughs> was like go look up <laughs> the moves for Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. That was probably the second thing they did after they got AOL. Okay, well when my family got AOL, I was too young for that. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> okay, so what is the build for Dalsum? So it's Elemental Monk 17, Battlemaster Fighter 3, and we'll take Magic Initiate as a feat to gain access to Sacred Flame. So the whole point of Dalsum is to be able to stand there and make a melee attack from a substantial range. You know, you've got stretchy arms and legs. Uh-huh. So we're basically stacking up all the ways to increase your melee reach. Okay. Once again, Volo's Guide is the answer. <laughs> Part of the answer. Yeah, somewhat. So the bugbear, the strange, furry, big goblinoid, has... Neither bug nor bear. Fair. Like a peanut. We just have this conversation every time we mention him. Or a carpet. (laughs) Or a driveway. (laughs) Anyway, the bugbear gets a plus five foot reach uh, on attacks on its turn. So great. A bugbear can just stand there and punch people from 10 feet away mm-hmm. it's kind of neat like a pole arm yep but a battle master fighter can take the maneuver lunging attack which when they spend a superiority die increases their reach by five feet and then adds that die to their damage yeah so that'll be a 1d8 and 15 foot reach and that's up to four times per short rest which is fair yeah it's fine <laughs> 15 feet's a lot right but is it enough no, it's not, Uh-oh. which is why we have Elemental Monk. So that gives us the Fangs of the Fire Snake ability at uh, third level. It increases your unarmed reach by 10 feet if you spend one key point, And then if you hit after uh, enabling it, you can add 1d10 damage for another key point per attack. So now we're looking at a 25-foot reach. I believe that math checks out. I think that's that's all the way across the screen. I think that's at, that's at least halfway across the screen. It's at least halfway across the screen, mm-hmm. and you're adding a D8 plus a D10. Pretty good additional damage. It's a nice punch, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a pretty hard hit. And if Fangs of the Fire Snake does fire damage, which totally fits with Dalsum's MO. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the Elemental Monk can also get access to Burning Hands mm-hmm. and Wall of Flame, which Wall of Flame isn't exactly a standard from street fighter but it could totally work thematically yeah but burning hands is definitely yoga flame yeah and of course sacred flame is your uh yoga fire which is when he just sort of spat like this ball of fire that moved across the screen very quickly and anyone who played dalsam would just spam those yeah at some point that's how you keep them at at length yeah exactly you get halfway across the screen you punch them (laughs) you get in close you're screwed (laughs) Especially if they're playing Guile. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So just remember, after you defeat an opponent, you need to levitate up in the air with your legs crossed. That's, just for a little bit. That's critical. Yeah. Um, Which I think you can probably do with some sort of gust of wind ability from the Elemental Monk. Yeah, I'm sure there's something. Yeah. 
Uh, one thing we mentioned at the top of the show that his reach is greater than his grasp. Uh, bad idea to grapple. Yeah. Uh, grappling automatically ends if the target leaves your reach. And uh, as a bugbear, that will happen at the end of your turn. Um, and then, of course, with the uh, enabled abilities of lunging attack and fangs of the fire snake, that could end even shorter. So it's not a great grappler build. Yeah. Punch from medium range. Yeah. But I do like the idea of uh, of him being able to like steal kills, you know, if he's anywhere near the melee. He's <laughs> like more annoying than an archer because he's engaged at the same time. <laughs> All right. So Shane, Dalsam aside, how did your character become stretchy arm guy? Well, he grew up in the fighting pits. And uh, if there's one thing that you learn quickly about yourself in the fighting pits, it's whether or not you can take a punch. And uh, what my hero learned was that he could not. <laughs> so it was much safer for him to uh, to learn how to keep his enemies at arm's reach. So rather than let them get in up close, he learned how to kind of kite, right? And that, that that's basically by maintaining maximum distance at all times, uh, kind of darting in to strike from far away and then ducking back. So, uh, you know, as a bugbear, this is sort of a natural ability and a natural way to fight. Mm-hmm. But then he began to master new techniques, which would enable him to further extend that distance and coincidentally further extend his life. <laughs> uh, and then kind of after escaping the fighting pits, he found inner peace as he uh, adopted the custom of the monks of the area and really the path of fire really resonated with him as all he had ever wanted to do is let that anger that burned inside him about his own physical weakness out in the form of fire i like it fiery bugbear Mm -hmm. what do you got my bugbear was cursed by a nilbog oh Fair. He came from Goblin Society. Yeah, he used to beat up on goblins all the time because oh, yeah. that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Lots of fun. Right. Silly little goblins. Ended up in a war host, as you do. Right. Uh, and unfortunately was in the line of fire when a Nilbog popped up and started pranking everyone and everything. So how did he get pranked? His arms and legs don't stretch. They're just always that long. Oh, that's awkward. <laughs> He's like Gumby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hands dragging on the ground, except when he's like lifting them up, but then just sort of they sag in the middle. Mm. Legs kind of the same way. This is awkward. You know, technically an, arm, an unarmed strike can be with any part of the body. So if it's less than his maximum 25-foot range, it's kind of more of a swing attack than a punch? Yeah. I'd like to think, I wonder, hmm, maybe his neck also extends in some manner. Oh, head It can be, yeah. <laughs> You've got the giraffe bugbear. That's kind of gross and creepy, but I think that's exactly what a nilbog would do. <laughs> this is. I don't see how this character finds an adventuring party that's willing to have him. I mean, it's a bugbear, right? So if you're willing to overlook the like furry goblinoid in the party, I think you're willing to overlook the fact that he has know, long, stretchy it's, limbs. It's, it's, <laughs> no, they don't stretch at all. They're just long, stretched out just, limbs. Yeah. They're flaccid, really. Right. They got a yeah. flaccid vertebrae. Great. Okay. You built Harry Slenderman. Wonderful. <laughs> Terrifying. And, you know, maybe for all the party knows, this is what every bugbear looks like. And who are they to judge? 
fair, I guess. So I think he's probably on a quest to find the Nilbog or someone who can rid him of this curse. Right. Of course, then he'll be useless to the party. Yeah, he's still got some training. That's true. That's right. By the time you hit Greater Restoration at level 5. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if we're willing to help us out, we'll read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. And we've got another five-star review today. This is Best RPG Podcast, Five Stars, by HM Coop one I've been playing RPGs since the original D&D Redbox set, and I've been looking for a podcast like this for quite some time. Most of the podcasts I find on the topic are live play podcasts. Personally, I would rather listen to interesting discussions about the games we all love rather than sit in on someone else's game session. This podcast offers all that and more. I'm recommending it to all my friends. My favorite episodes so far are the ones where you guys discuss campaign settings. It would be awesome to hear you guys discuss some other lesser-known settings, such as Al-Kadim, Birthright, and Spelljammer. Looking forward to hearing more episodes. Keep up the great work. HM Coop 1, we actually totally agree with with that. We want to talk about some other lesser-known campaign settings i mean we both are i think we're some of the few people who played birthright uh, i actually haven't played birthright uh myself i've played birthright the gorgon's alliance <laughs> terrible 90s computer game from sierra <laughs> and hey spell jammer uh, yeah i mean i think we could probably do spell jammer birthright el kadim for sure would require a lot more research than i, I don't know that i know anything about el kadim except for its you know overall arabian nights theme i'm gonna check it out but yeah, I mean, we could we could definitely do Birthright or Spelljammer. I mean, I think we're close to that. We've now committed, so keep listening. Yeah, sometime in the next 20 episodes. <laughs> oh yeah, it's in there. Good, yeah. But uh, thank you for the kind words. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about secrets. And in the character creation forge? We're building Reaper, one of the villains from Overwatch, uh, I hear. Well, that's it for episode 77 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 